Good evening. Uh, We're continuing our our sermon series called Seven, and we're exploring uh, the seven deadly sins and what it means for us as God's people as we kind of encounter uh, them in our own lives and how God, how Jesus speaks to those sins and the words of uh, what is known as as the Beatitudes, one of Jesus's probably most famous sermons uh, that he gave. And so tonight... As you can kind of see behind me as uh, the sins are revealed that we're going to be uh, speaking on or talking about, reflecting on, um, envy. Envy is probably, and I've shared this with some people on staff at times, like envy is probably one of the, uh, like one of my pet sins. It's like one that I tend to um, have um, issues with. And, uh, and the way envy works is it's, it's sort of like this voice in the back of your head that is constantly sort of pointing out to you with other people, with things, with events, whatever it is. It's like this constant scan that's pointing out to you all the ways in which you are inadequate in some way. What you do, what envy does is it leads you to see in other people things that you think you're missing in yourself. Ways that you feel like maybe you can improve, or at times people maybe have things that you wish you did have, whether it's a skill or even a possession. Maybe it's well-behaved children. (laughs) Maybe it's a lucrative career. Uh, Maybe it's a nice 401k. I mean, it could be anything, a number of things. But what envy does at its heart is it makes you feel like the life that you have to some degree is worthless or not worth as much, at least, as some other people's because of the things that they have or the skills that they have or the experiences that they get to experience. And so it shifts your perspective from your daily bread, the daily bread that God provides for you, give us this day, and it makes you focus on other people's bread. And so all you can see when you're sort of possessed with envy are all the things you don't have, the parts that you might feel are missing. And we do. We, we, we all experience this on some level at different times to varying degrees. And when we encounter it, it does. It can leave this sense of want or this empty feeling or, or some sort of maybe even internal injustice that maybe you wish would be set right because you're missing it. And this has been around for a long time. It's in Scripture. We see it happen. The people of God expressed envy. And one of the ways that we see God's people really clearly express envy is in the passage that we read from Joshua just a minute ago, where or Samuel just a minute ago, where people... The people of God are living their best life, and they can't see it. They have Yahweh, they have God, the the creator of the universe, the maker of everything, dwelling among them and leading them, and time and time again giving them victory and fulfilling promise and giving them comfort. And God, the creator of the universe, is there, and what do they do? They look out, and they see the countries around them, and they say to Yahweh, huh, they have a king, and we don't. We wish we had a king. What? Now, of course, is God happy about this? Heck no. 
It's like saying, God, you're great and all, but we're missing something these other people have that we don't. I mean, yes, you're the creator of the universe. Yes, we've witnessed miracles. Yes, we've been led as a people from slavery. We're being promised a gift, and yet, even in the midst of all these things, we look out and we see something that we don't have. So they ask for it. And what does God do? God sort of does a little bit what I mentioned in my sermon on Sunday. He, he hands them over to their own sin. He basically gives them exactly what they want. And in the words of Dr. Phil, he says, well, see how that works out for you. And so what does Scripture say happens because they're going to get this king? Well, to get an earthly king means that your sons are going to be taken and sent to war. Your, your daughters are going to be pulled into the king's harem, become property. All your hard work and labor, a percentage of everything you yield and do is going to be given to support this new king. Sounds lovely, right? And familiar, maybe, even. A king. Driven by envy. Looking out, they saw what others had, and the voice inside of them said, we must be missing something. And so what does this do? It, it drives a wedge between them and God, because no longer is God leading them, but it also begins to drive a wedge between them and each other, because when you envy, it brings distance, like all these sins, between the people of God and between God himself. And every time envy enters into the picture in Scripture, it leads to a separation and an exile. And you see the theme of exile throughout all of Scripture related to this idea of envy. For example, Adam and Eve were in the garden enjoying a beautiful creation, but in the middle of this garden, uh, there was this tree that provided the knowledge of good and evil, and all it took was the serpent to sort of say, you know, don't you want this? Did God really say? And they began thinking about what they did not have and envying perhaps what God had. And so what did they do? They took for themselves and ate what they thought they needed and then they got exiled from paradise. Not long after that, you hear the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain comes across his brother Abel, and they've been offering sacrifices to God. And God prefers Abel's. And this creates some jealousy and envy within Cain. And so what does Cain do? And out of envy, he strikes his brother dead. And he's exiled away from everyone and away from God into the wilderness. Or Jacob and Esau. Jacob envied the birthright of his brother Esau. He wanted it for himself. There was something that he desired or felt like he was missing, and so he deceived his own father to rob his brother of the birthright so that he could have what he wanted. And in fear of death... Jacob fled into exile, separated from God and from man. 
And see, that's what envy does. Envy leads to exile from self, from yourself, from others, and ultimately also from God. Because it leaves you feeling inadequate and separated from other people. And either you act out in ways that aren't healthy to try to take for yourself something, or you pull away and withdraw feeling like maybe God's passed over you or you become the victim, a number of things. So what this stirs up in people is shame. I mean, sin really does this, all the sins really do this on some level. It leads to shame and envy leads us to shame because we think others have something that we don't and and it creates an insecurity. So what's the solution to this? What's the way that we solve the problem of envy? Well, in a weird way, um, it's mourning. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, and they shall have the kingdom of God. And it's mourning because Mourning is about holding a lot of the things in life that we seek after a little bit more loosely and and maybe understanding in a bigger way the fleeting nature of all that we desire. Mourning is about sharing our pain and loss and grief. And this is what pulls us out of the exile, out of the separation from God and closer to one another. Another a word to describe this sort of sharing of our pain or sharing of the things that we feel that we're missing or the, the grief of that, whether it's a person or a characteristic or a thing, is confession. We share our pain, we confess the things that we're feeling, experiencing, and missing. And that brings us out of that isolation, out of that exile, into the presence of God. And again, we we see this in Scripture, right? We see what happens when there is confession and when there is not confession. For example, um, Adam and Eve, they ate from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says in the text that, you know, Jesus comes walking. Now, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they're like, you know, nothing, God, everything's good. They wouldn't own it. So it led to their exile. The blood was crying out from the ground after Cain killed Abel. And when God spoke to Cain, Cain sort of drops the rock behind him and pretends to be clueless. Did I? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. What do you mean, God? And his lack of owning his sin led to exile. But we get to the story of Jacob and Esau, and you see the switch. Jacob uh, goes and he wrestles with God. He struggles with his sin, and he is out on a mission to be reconciled to his brother Esau. He confesses, and he was received back, rejoined, and given what was promised. See, envy and mourning are actually both responses to something we lack. 
Both those who envy and those who mourn are in the position of want or want of a different life. It's just placed a little bit differently. When you envy something, you see something, and a part of you wants to take it for yourself or become the victim of self. So I see someone with hair and I envy it. I see someone's post on Facebook as they're bench pressing 120 and they have biceps bigger than my head and I'm like, wow, that must be nice. But mourning... exposes your pain. And when you expose your pain, you don't feel exile, you feel connection and an opportunity for restoration. And what I mean by this is like, it's okay to mourn the things that maybe you don't have or wish you had or want to have. Like when I look in a mirror, and and everyone who gets older does this probably, or maybe you look in the mirror less and less as you get older, but when you look in the mirror, it's like I can see, like, oh, I'm getting older. Yay. And I mourn that a little bit. Sometimes I uh, see things, and I've said this to I'll see Pastor Anthony do something, like, gosh, you're so great at that. <laughs> I mourn that. I mean, to, to mourn something means on some level you acknowledge that this world is not perfect. You aren't perfect. You can't possess every good and perfect gift from above. You possess the perfect gifts that God gives you. And so the shift with envy is instead of feeling the shame or the rejection or the guilt or the jealousy... In a way, it's almost like naming it and claiming it. It's like all all sins. The first step is to acknowledge you have a problem. So just own it. Own what you don't have. And go ahead and mourn it. It's okay. It's okay to want more for yourself. It's okay to desire different abilities and traits. It's okay to wish that maybe you're in a different place in your life than maybe one of your peers. It's okay to look at other people's kids and wonder if your kids are measuring up. It's it's all normal stuff. But if you shift it into a place of confession and, and mourning... It loses its power. That's why I've said to Anthony at times, 
And I just envy you. Not because I'm trying to get self you know, pity or anything. I, I say it simply to say, I'm just acknowledging I have a problem. And I want to put my pillow over your face, right? No, I just, I just, if I'm going to act weird, I want them to know why I'm acting weird. Not because I dislike them. It's because I'm mourning that there's some things I don't get to do because they're not mine to do. And then you shift. And I'm no longer an exile from God, nor am I exiled from my brother. So we hear uh, the words of Christ as an invitation. An invitation to give thanks for what we have, to accept the daily bread that we've been given, and to mourn maybe some of the things that we haven't, and not envy, but celebrate. Because God continues to give his good and gracious gifts to those who love him, follow him. And the good news is, ultimately why we don't have to envy is because the promise God gave to us that we would be co-heirs with Christ. That is, we are inheritors of everything. And everything is at the foot of Jesus. So in him, there's nothing to envy because we have the greatest gift. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.